Welcome to the Goal In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Russ, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes from Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Jackie Jubb from JackieJubb.com. Jackie's a lawyer and a prosecutor, and she's now turned her career and her skill set to being a professional copywriter and writing mentor. She works with coaches, consultants, creatives, and experts of all type to help them turn their creative genius and their IP into sales copy that converts. Now, if you're new to the Goal In podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're back for more, welcome back. So glad that you're back. Now, if you're a first-time listener, for this show in particular, I might need to give you a little bit of context because it's about digital marketing and, of course, Jackie's Go All In story. So for the last 12 years or so, I've been involved in the digital marketing space. I've seen the rise of social media and now what seems like endless new platforms coupled with all sorts of crazy and wild exotic strategies to get your marketing to stick. In all of that, I have people ask me all the time, hey, Rob, what platform should I be on? Should I be on Google, on Facey, on Twitter, or on YouTube? Where should I be? And the answer for me is always the same. You need to be everywhere. You need to be omnipresent. But the most important thing is your message, not what platform you're on. Is your message the same on all of those platforms or is it different because of the text and image limitations that you have across those platforms? Look, at the end of the day, you can have the biggest budget in the world for advertising and marketing. You can have the world's best website and the best of intentions. But if your copy is lousy, you won't make any money because it won't convert. So for me, it's always been much less about the platform or the silo that you're advertising and marketing on and always, always about the copy. That's where it starts from. Ask yourself, is the copy on your website or in your marketing getting you the results that you want or are you just blaming the platforms for not converting? Pretty easy to blame the Facebook business manager when your campaign doesn't work right, but have you tried tweaking your copy, split testing that and trying it five different ways? That's a really simple starting point. As you'll hear, Jackie is an expert in crafting a message that connects and resonates with an audience. And it's in that connection and that, that personal connection that feels like when she's talking to you, that's what brings you customers. That's what brings you new sales. And that's what brings you the conversions that you're looking for. I'm excited she's here to share her go all in story and her knowledge of copywriting. So please help me in welcoming Jackie Jubb. Well, good day, Jackie. Welcome to the Go All In podcast. It's great to have you here. Good to be here. Can't wait to chat. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited for this one because it's right up my alley of digital marketing and all of that stuff. But before we get into that and to your Go All In story, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? I'm from a little part of New South Wales called the Central Coast, Umina Beach. It's just north of Sydney. We live just near the beach there. I live there with my husband and three children. Three little ones, six, three, and 22 months. Busy household. That's a busy household, that yeah. one. It's, it's a chaotic household. <laughs> it's not calm. <laughs> it's anything but calm. Very nice. Umina Beach is a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. For people that don't know that, please Google it. It's uh, absolutely stunning. I can remember when I was growing up as a kid, my, my mate Michael, his parents had a place up there at Umina Beach, and we used to go up there and hang out. I don't remember going to the place very much, but I do remember going to the beach a lot up there, stunning in summertime. Yeah, I think everyone has that childhood memory, or a lot of Sydney families seem to remember 
starting up the starting up the freeway and going to Yamana Beach. It's uh, mm. it's still like a small coastal town, but it is uh, there's lots of families you know exiting Sydney because of the <laughs> property boom. So we see it's getting a little bit more crowded now. <laughs> How do you like living in regional New South Wales? I did that for a little while on the south coast of New South Wales. Is it a is it a change, or have you always lived up that part of the world? It took a while. Well, it's funny because I grew up in Sydney. So I grew up in Sydney, you know, for the first 28 years of my life. And then I did what most Aussies do. And I went off, chucked off to London and, and had that two-year working holiday, you know, drinking warm ale in pubs kind of adventure. <laughs> and um, and when I came back, I actually um, lived in Newcastle. I ended up living in Newcastle where I met my husband. We lived there for seven years. So London to Newcastle, another regional town north mm-hmm. of Sydney, was, was a bit of a rude shock. <laughs> so actually when I when we finally settled in the Central Coast, I had the I had the regional living, you know, cruisy coastal living thing down pat. So yeah, no, we really enjoy it. I've taken up surfing and the kids love it and we can always duck back down to Sydney when we need our fix, our big city fix. So yeah, my I was husband's say. a country boy. So he's a he's a farmer from Queensland. So um so this is the big smoke for him. Yeah, <laughs> like nice, it's- nice. And it's close to Sydney if you need to be in yeah. there as well. That's that's really good. The reason I ask about that is I used to I used to live at a place called St George's Basin when I was in the army down at HMS Albatross and it's about 30 kilometres south of Nowra on the south coast of, of New South Wales and there would be nobody there through the week, <laughs> nobody. And even on the weekend, it was pretty quiet. The population is just like not many people there. It's like kind of weird. And, and it has the claim to fame is that it has the Himes Beach there has the whitest sand in the world and that used to be my local yeah. beach and absolutely beach. stunning, right? Just, just mm, beautiful part of the world, right at Jarvis Bay. But come the school holidays and the holiday periods, the population fed income would be 200,000 people more than what it normally would be. And it was just gridlocked. It was chaos. It was traffic. Yeah. And it was like all the rat bags out there drinking and carry on with their <laughs> boats. And oh my gosh, it was like different. Lucky in your money, you don't have that so much, do you? You don't really, but it does. The population is a little bit more heaving in the summer, but it's certainly not. There's not too much riffraff. It's, it's, sort of a, it's sort of a strange mix of retirees and families and holiday makers but yeah it works for us we're enjoying it <laughs> it was interesting on the south coast i always used to think it was um all redneck central come down there and just cut sick down yeah. there because <laughs> it's such a big place and it's kind of fun you know watching people do that and i'm i'm <laughs> category so you know i'm not having a dig at anyone but yeah it was, yeah. It was quite a cool that was tell us about your uh, your background your working background well, i had a pretty interesting uh Probably a lot of your guests, I think. I've had a meandering kind of career and I don't know, it's been a fairly diverse kind of career. I started out um, as a young uh, prosecutor, criminal lawyer in Sydney for working for the Director of Public Prosecutions. Pretty sure they made, they made a TV show about us called Crownies, which was fairly accurate. It was kind of, um, yeah, we're in the dirty world of crime and interesting dramatic court stories and a fair bit of play after hours. But, um, can, 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 I, can I jump in there? I've got to. I, I, I got to jump in like <laughs> I'm a soldier, right? And a sailor yeah. and I'm a pilot as well. Right. And I can't sit there and watch an army movie without nitpicking. That's not that, that gun or that something, right? Nitpicking, you yeah. know, that's what soldiers and boys do. Do you sit there and watch like SVU and all of these crime shows <laughs> and go, oh, come on. I do. I do. But do you know, I actually really enjoy them. It's funny. I've got this real capacity to suspend disbelief. Like I'm really into storytelling and drama. I think it's the writer in me. So I kind of, I still enjoy it. Like I still just go, I just want to be, you know, Harvey Specter from Suits or, and I know it's not realistic. And actually I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one thing. Australian courtrooms are so much more boring than American ones. Are they? Especially American TV ones. Like it's just, you know, you, there's a couple of exciting moments I can tell you that didn't happen every day from the courtroom days. 
they're kind of, there's, there's a lot of long, slow, boring days with, you know, people falling asleep, even the judges on the bench. So <laughs> it's kind of, um, it's, yeah, it's a roller coaster ride, but yeah, sometimes it's not, not like it is in the TV. Okay, cool, cool. I'll let you continue on. You're saying you were you had a meandering career there. You started yeah. off as a criminal prosecutor. Yeah, so criminal prosecutor, and then I guess the travel bug hit me, like at, you know, my late twenties, and I decided to actually just before then, I decided I wanted a bit of a change. I've always had this, I guess, this pull between having a creative career and I loved writing, and then I also really loved the law. I've got my two sides of the brain flipping between both of them, strategy and creativity. So I worked in an advertising agency for a year, and that's where I learned to be a copywriter. I had a kind of a random stint there and then I decided to, well, I got dumped pretty badly. A relationship broke up and then I moved to London. I went to another um, country. A bit, of a, a bit of escapism always works a treat. Yeah. And then I uh, went to London for a couple of years, had various jobs over there. I worked in human rights law and corporate law. Uh, then when I got back to um, Australia, I worked in commercial litigation. I met my husband and lived in a regional town and worked in a law firm there. And I guess the switch then, I then became a copywriter and launched my own copywriting business in 2014. And that switch kind of occurred because I had a baby, had a very young baby. I was working really long hours in a law firm. I wasn't feeling very creatively fulfilled. I'd always been a great writer. I'd been kind of doing it on the side, a bit of a side hustle for years. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to start my own business. I, I did a lot of courses. I trained, trained myself as a copywriter and, uh, and then launched that, quit the law firm and launched into that business about five years ago. Do you, do you remember the sometimes when I ask people that in a passion business like yours, because you obviously really passionate about it and you love it. Likewise, on this side of the, the microphone, I absolutely love what I do. Do you, do you remember the, the time when you were like, you know what, I'm just going to do that? Was, was it a specific time or date or did it happen gradually over over a couple of months? I actually do remember when I decided to do it, but I didn't actually leave until a few years later. So... Well, I like to think of myself as an impulsive person. I remember it was my 31st birthday. Uh, it was November, whatever that was, nine years ago because I just turned 40. And I thought, if I don't do it now, I'm just going to, I'll run through this decade through my 30s and I'll have kids and I'll do what, what you do and we just bought a house and I'll do all the things that you're supposed to check all the boxes. I won't ever, I'll have some regrets and doubts about not doing this because, you know, I've loved being a lawyer and there's, there's amazing things about being a lawyer, but it wasn't ticking all the boxes for me. And it always had this urge to write and be creative. So that's when I enrolled in some Australian Writers Centre writing courses. I had, you know, I had, this was pre-children, but still working pretty long hours in law. And I just kind of took steps over the next three years. And then three years later, I made the switch. So it wasn't, wasn't an overnight thing, but I do remember specifically that birthday thinking, this is the time I've got to, I've either got to go for this um, or let it go. Just let that dream go and, and press on with the career I've chosen. <laughs> it seems very sensible and, and methodical. And, you know, if somebody was listening to that, that's like, that's the way you do it. Sometimes I ask people and they're like, I quit my job. I had nothing else to go to and I burnt the boats and I had to go and do it. So it wasn't like that for you at all? Well, it wasn't. I mean, yeah, I'd like to say that it was because I love a good story and that sounds a bit more fun. <laughs> but actually, I remember I remember I bought this book called how to reinvent yourself or reinvent yourself and become a writer or something like that. It was written by Valerie Koo. She's a Sydney journalist. And I, and I had CDs in it and I listened to the CDs and I, you know, I rang writers and journalists and I did all this, you know, study about how, you know, what it would be like to actually, you know, affect a career change. So I actually probably went against what my natural personality trait is to jump and be impulsive and just, you know, cut ties and take mm. the late 
Um, but that particular decision I did actually take a bit of time with. And, you know, we had a mortgage and so, you know, I didn't have the luxury of doing the, the all-in at that point. But I did commit to it in my mind and, and start kind of taking steps toward it, towards it every month, you know, every week, every month, each year. Yep. Very nice. Very sensible. That's the yeah, model to follow, right. the sensible model. <laughs> that was probably like the lawyer it. in me, wasn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> just the kind of slightly risk-averse side but mostly i'm not no you know i I was talking to a a hr person on another podcast recently and you know i asked her in the thousands of people that you've dealt with over a 25 year career what would you say to somebody if they were going to take a leap and go and do something else you know you know someone's been in a job for 10 years and looking for a change they're ready to go the star whatever she said don't don't jump whatever you do don't jump because i've seen so many people jump and they just fall on their face and it's you know, be methodical, be strategic, make sure you've got some savings. It's really pragmatic yeah. and sensible. I, mean, I didn't have any savings, I must admit. Like I jumped without a lot of the savings, but I did kind of take a bit of time to, you know, study writing and kind of study my craft a bit. So, I mean, sometimes I think it can work in the reverse. There are times when I say to people it is right, depending on your situation, to just jump. Because mm. if you do a side hustle for too long, you can't give it, you can't give it, you can't give it a hundred percent. You don't have the time to, to go all in and do it. So, um, but yeah, that's how that's how it panned out for me. So, and there was there was a moment like, three years later where I went, "Stop it!" Handed <laughs> okay. in my resignation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about being a lawyer? Is that is that a creative in the roles that you were in? Is it a creative profession, or did you feel like your creativity was repressed? I felt like it was repressed, but I don't I don't know if that's actually because of the work you do, or because of the fact that and I know it's changing. Law firms and and the practice industry itself is quite conservative. And I'm, I don't consider myself to be conservative. Yeah, right. Nor do I consider myself to be like an amazing employee. I mean, I always did a good job and performed, but I hated having meetings about meetings and I didn't like the politics. <laughs> I didn't want to turn up and talk about crap. And I just, I, was, I always felt a bit, I always felt a bit kind of hemmed in, you know. Yeah. Um, right down to being told what to wear. You know, I was kind of always a bit rebellious. So possibly the industry for me was more repressive than the actual work itself. But yeah, I mean, you know, being a lawyer is is a, is a bit um it is some of it's a bit boring and technical and dry that to be which is why I kind of started out in the courtroom. I, my first love was it kind of was storytelling. You know, it was the human drama and and the element of it. You know, in criminal law, that's what I was drawn to initially. Mm-hmm. And when I look back now and kind of connect the connect the dots, it's not dissimilar to writing. It's all about storytelling. I always love stories. I love stories in the courtroom. I loved working with clients and. I'm hearing their stories and now I love, you know, working with clients and, and writing about them. So a lot of it's to do is centred around storytelling, but it's been in different areas just in life. Yeah. Very nice. We'll hold that one because I want to come all the way back to that shortly. But before we before we go there and talk about that, let's let's hear your Go All In story, Jackie. People come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons yeah. that you've learned from your commitment to success? So mine is, um, well, it does come back to career, but it's, it's not a story necessarily about my career switches or moves or the way that I've, I've practised. Um, it's about when I decided, I turned 40 and decided to hire a personal trainer. And like a lot of women, you know, I've spent the last what, half a decade breastfeeding and having babies and kind of in this baby bubble, wearing tracksuit pants far too often. And I shy of my 40th birthday. I wrote a blog about it the other day, actually, but our oven broke. We had this crappy old oven and it just it broke in a, in a really dramatic kind of way, a big internal combustion kind of way. And so we needed a new oven and the new one was kind of fancy and expensive. I had the money saved up. I decided that I really, really wanted to get my mojo back and get my figure back and get fit again. 
And so went all in and I threw a whole heap of money at a personal trainer and I said, you know what, I just want to lose the weight and I want you to give me guns like Michelle Obama. (laughs) That was my my specific instructions to her. The reason I I tell it as a go all in story is because it's just, I'd I'd put off training for months and years and I'd put myself last for so long and everything had been about the kids and I'd be kind of ticking along in my business as well, but I felt like I hadn't kind of maybe given 100% either because I was overweight and I was stressed and I was tired and so the energy I, that I wanted to give to my business, I wasn't really. And so, yeah, I decided to buy the PT. I decided it wasn't a luxury. It was something that I needed to do. And, um, yeah, and we went without an oven for ages <laughs> and the kids <laughs> ate fish fingers and stir fries and they all survived. Um, but I spent, you know, a good six months, I'm still working with it, a good six months, lost almost 10 kilos, got toned up my body, ran my first half marathon, you know. Had started you been a runner races. previously? No, I hadn't been. I mean, literally like probably nine months ago, I couldn't run two days. Yeah. So I had been pretty fit in my 20s, but I was never really a big runner, but I love it now. Um, yeah, so now I've started running all sorts of events and, and it just had it just had this you know, kind of committing to myself in that way. It's had a flow-on effect for so many areas of my life. You know, my my kids are talking a lot more about exercise and they come with me while I swing the kettlebells in my trainer's carport and they dance around and my business has been better and I got more confidence in myself and, yeah, it just it had so many ripple effects, I guess. And even just sharing story with all of my friends and my network I've had a million messages about people saying I would love to do this you've inspired me and I'm going to the gym today since you wrote that blog and uh, it's been a really really nice thing to see I mean a lot of women and mums obviously responding to that message that it's okay to be selfish you know and and not not even to see it as selfish but it's okay to invest in yourself and go all in and not always um try and do things for everyone else. Jackie I'm going to ask a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question yeah why on earth did it take for the oven to break for you to actually spend some time on yourself and do something for yourself? What, what was it that? It's a good question because actually I had actually turned 40. It was actually just after my 40th birthday. And turning 40 wasn't enough for me to put my finger out and do it. It was, the, <laughs> it was the kind of, which is weird. So it was the sort of, I guess, it's funny, we could have a whole discussion about money as well. It could be money mindset around this. But the oven breaking and then thinking, oh, God, you know. It's a funny catalyst. Yeah, it was just it was just a funny catalyst, and and it was I guess because you know what you, you have to and I say this to, to clients as well. But you've got to think. It made me think about my priorities because obviously I was investing a lot of money back in my business. You know, you could say why didn't you just go and buy an oven? You know, I had a lot of things to spend the money on that I could have spent the money on. We had you know three mortgages, an investment property. I've got three kids. I've got a business that I want to keep putting money into to grow it. Mm. And for some weird reason, that oven breaking down was just the mental catalyst for me. And I just thought, stuff it. I actually want, I don't want to spend money on the oven. I'm not really like Nigella Lawson, even though I pretend to be. I'm not actually a domestic goddess, although I sold that lie to my husband many years ago. <laughs> but I'm not really the baker. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd rather just invest that money in me and we can, you know, save up and buy an oven on the track. So I don't know why that was the catalyst, but it just kind of sparked something in me strangely. It made me think about where I want to spend my money and how I want to prioritise things in my life. Well, yep. maybe it's that sensible, pragmatic side of you there that kind of <laughs> that switched on. You didn't realize, and you probably didn't realize until we put those two things together, talking about leaving your career and then 
doing something that's yeah. pragmatic here. Look, you know, getting yeah. back into, into fitness is something that's very, very hard for people, particularly for women as well. Yeah. And yeah. that's because you have that guilt associated with it. Blokes don't have guilt associated. If the kids, I'm, I'll go to the gym. I've, been, I've never not had a gym membership irrespective yeah. of how much money I do or I don't have. And I always, always have gone. I've always trained irrespective of the kid's family yeah. or financial circumstance. And I've never had any guilt around that. You know, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe I should think about others, but exercise <laughs> no. is an absolute priority for me. And it's been yeah. part of my life since I was like 12 years old. So I, ne- I just never had that kind of guilt around it. Why do you think you had that? Well, I, it's funny because I've had so many women tell me they feel guilty. And since I wrote that post, you wouldn't believe how many people, women have emailed me personally and said, I feel so much guilt around this. Like your blog <laughs> was literally a post about my life. And I didn't realise how much of a nerve I'd hit. It's funny, I know women do this. We feel as though there are these choices we have to make and one is selfish and one is you know, one is selfish, one is selfless. You know, if we're always trying to, but if you're not spending, if you're going for a jog, you're training up for an event or you're going to the gym too often, it's time that you're not spending with your children. And I had to really do a lot of mindset work on myself about the fact that this is really important to me. Like I want fitness to be my life. I want, I want to be, I want to set a really example for my children and, you know, that, that's not about not spending time with them. That's about, you know, living my life the way I want to live it and them seeing me do that. It's a very peculiar thing to women, honestly. I, it's funny that we feel guilty around it. And, you know, for me now, fitness is just such, it makes me so happy that, I've, that I'm fit again. It's just an integral part of my life and my day. I'm not on a diet. I'm not on a, this is not like a binge thing. It's part of who I am. It's been a real shift for me. Yeah. I love it. It's the be- beautifully articulated. And if there's any women listening, don't feel guilty. Don't be stupid. That's silly. Stop feeling guilty. Get out there and do it. The great thing about committing to, to going all in on your fitness is you can turn that around really quickly. It's sort of in four weeks, you start to feel better. In eight weeks, you start to get a bit of habit developed and a bit of momentum behind you. And in 12 or so weeks, people start to to realize they're like, damn, you're looking pretty good. Yeah. That what happened to you? Did it happen in sequence like that for you? Absolutely. And then this is only, yeah. And by the five, the kind of five month mark, I mean, I was getting comments left, right and center. And and it's not just a, it's not a vanity thing, but I was actually just feeling really healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, like your skin's better and your mind's a bit clearer. And I just loved the way that I was living out my days. And then, you know, and I kind of just set some of, um, some events, some goals, you know, to events to look forward to. And I just did a beautiful 10K soft sand run up at Whitehaven Beach in the Whit Sundays, which was amazing mm-hmm. for a girl's 40th. So we decided to go away and, you know, have a couple of wines, but also do a run as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it doesn't take that long at all. I mean, I only turned 40 last November. It's probably like what, seven, eight months, nine months later. And, um, you know, you can make big shifts in a very small amount of time when you commit to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, uh, in, in the spirit of turning 40, that's a very vulnerable story that you tell. And, and as a woman, you're sharing your age with us, you know. So thank, thank you for that. Maybe I can give you the male, male version of it. <laughs> I'd love to hear it, yeah. Well, you know, don't make too much fun of me, right? Because I was freaking out as I was about to turn 40. And, yeah. I, and did like, too. Probably, I did too. I had a lot of anxiety around it. Yeah, yeah properly. Yeah. And my, my brother, being the, the older, slower, fatter, bolder one, He's not listening, so I can say that. So my podcast, I can say whatever I want. He said to me, Rob, don't don't freak out about it, mate, because um, it doesn't really matter. Like the day comes and goes and everything's still the same. And, you know, that's a very, very sensible thing to say. And, you know, yeah. I, I don't know what anxiety I had wrapped up around it. I think it was tied to the goals that I'd set in my life and not yeah. having achieved the goals that I 
wanted to achieve. And that's got nothing to do with not achieving the goals or missing a target or something like that. I just, I don't know, I was freaking out. Anyway, it was, my birthday is in January and my partner's birthday is in October. And yeah. her birthday was coming up and she wanted to have a holiday. So we, we booked a sneaky holiday to Singapore and we went nice. to, ticked, nice. the, ticked off the bucket list off the Marina Bay Sands, you know, the pool on yeah. top of the pool hotel in Singapore. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. what an unbelievable place. Right? I love singers uh, and we went there. So anyway, that, that was what I bought for her birthday. We, so that we went there and I said to myself, if I can get in shape properly there, maybe I'll be okay by the time my birthday rocks around a couple of months later. And yeah. uh, I trained like a crazy person, you know, yeah. win- winter of that year came around and, you know, beach bodies are made in, in winter. They're not made, made in, in winter. That's what my trainer says. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> right. So well, yeah. I know all the same anxiety that you, that you were feeling and you know what? I- yeah. I had a lot of it in the three months before I was, I mean, yeah, I think I skipped that part out, but I was really feeling down. I was like, what, what is this? I'm normally good with milestone birthdays. And I didn't know whether it was because, I mean, I'm like, my husband's almost six years younger than me, so I'm a bit of a cougar. And, you know, so I wonder whether that always makes me, because I'm always the older one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and I'm like, God, he's only like 34. This sucks. And, um, yeah, I couldn't quite pinpoint what it was, but I think you're right. It's, it is that midlife. I mean, it's a bit cliche, but it is that midlife crisis. And I, I heard a podcast about it. The podcast called All Being Well, and uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the interviewer actually right now. I've just gotten onto it, but she interviewed someone called Richard Tamerlan, a psychologist. But he talks a lot about how you turn 40 and you start to realize, you know, you start to question where you are and what you've done and what you've achieved and is it enough and am I enough and all that, all that stuff. And, you know, I guess we all just, and then also kind of maybe you have to shed a couple of dreams, like, you know, maybe I'm never going to be Kylie Minogue or Beyonce because I love singing. You know, I used to be a wedding singer. That's another career I had. So, you know, I might not be Kylie Minogue, but I've got other things I can still do, you know. So sometimes it's shedding parts of your personality and then evolving into new new ones. Yeah. You know, for, for all the anxiety that I felt about it, and, you know, it's no joke. I'm kind of like laughing along. I'm laughing along with you, not at you, because yeah, yeah. it was exactly the same for me. Tough, and, yeah. It's really hard to put my finger on why it was like that for me. But what I, I once it, it came and went and I was good, it was no big deal, of course. And yeah. it's true. It's actually true what they say. Life begins at 40. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm loving it. I can't believe that I wasted those few months before my birthday in a state of anxiety yeah. because Mad. it is true. I mean, I had a girl at work saying to me, it's just, oh, she's sort of in her late 40s. It's just another birthday and you're going to feel fine. I mean, in one month's time, you'll look back and go, why did I have this sort of existential crisis going on? But, um, yeah, I totally identify with that. I heard another one that's 40 is the new 30, so I've been going out clubbing and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's that working for you? No, yeah. it's not working at all. <laughs> You're still getting up at 5 a.m., you know, and doing your training. That's it. Can't handle the hangover. Yeah, exactly. I can't handle the hangovers these days either. You sort of, <laughs> I am old. <laughs> Jackie, if there's, some, if there's some girls listening to this and they're, teetering on the edge of going all in on their fitness and going for it. What would you, what would you say to them just to give them a little nudge? Cause you said yourself, like you write that post and uh, I read that post by the way, and, and it was kind of pretty heartfelt and pretty nice. It's like, well, yeah, you know, kind of get inside your head a little bit and see what you're thinking and whatnot. But what would you say to somebody if they were teetering and they can't quite get there or they've tried to do it and they can't get there? I think I'd just say, have a think about the kind of person you want to be each day. If that involves fitness, then just make it part of your day. It's like brushing your teeth. 
it's like, you know, being kind to feeding your children, you know, just if you start to make it this really kind of fun and exciting and integral part of your day, it's not going to feel hard. It won't be something you have to convince yourself of. Again, I used to have to convince myself and kind of debate in my head about whether or not to go to the gym or whether or not to do something. Actually, just make it a priority. Put it in your diary. Just put it in your schedule. Mm. It's like you do work. It's like you go to your daughter's netball game or, you know, a soccer game or whatever it is that you've got. Put it in your diary. Decide that that is a priority above everything else and it's just a, a natural part of your day. So yeah, I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, beautiful, beautifully said, beautifully said. I, I, I learned a couple of um, really good... I, I guess catchphrases that helped a lot recently is sweat before screens. Yep. like that one. Yeah. I like that one a lot as well. And yep. the, the other one is um, it's, it's gotta be, you have to manage time or time will manage you. And so true. it's so true. All, all the excuses go away. If you get up at five o'clock in the morning and go and train, it's hard, yep. but yep. you develop a habit of doing that and all of your excuses will go away and just go to bed a bit earlier. And yeah, you're baby exactly. tired through the day, but it makes a difference. And I'll tell you what, I mean, and I used to sort of say, well, I've got young children, so I can't get up early and I can't do this and I can't do that. And I just stopped, I decided to just stop the excuses. You know, it doesn't, I don't exercise early in the morning every single day. I always get it done. I'll find a window mm. of time to get it done. And you don't, you know, sometimes it might be 4.30 or 5 in the morning before they get up. You know, life happens. I've got a 22-month-old boy. You know, they're always snotty and sick. And so sometimes it doesn't happen. But, you know, then I'll just go for a jog later on when my husband is home or, you know, just I'll make it happen regardless. So, you know, it's, it's kind of just, yeah, seizing back those hours in the day and making it a priority. Yeah. Well, I love your go-all-in story because it's so, it's so simple, but it's so unbelievably life-changing and meaningful to you. It's, like, incredible. And, and I just so many people that listen to this podcast you just wouldn't be by yourself in feeling like you did. But you got on the other side of it. Talk to me about running a half marathon. That's now, now you've got your fitness goals squared away. You're starting to make some progress. You're getting a bit of momentum behind you. Now you set yourself a lofty goal and you couldn't really run very well before. How long did it take you to train to get to that point? I think, you know, I ran the half marathon in May, towards the end of May this year. And I started training in February, so around every March. It was probably only about three or, maybe three or four months of training. 12 weeks. And my first, yeah, it was 12 weeks. And that, you know, I'd heard that you could do it in that. I downloaded, or well, a friend sent me, I think Michelle Bridges 12 week, you know, half marathon plan. Oh, there it is. And uh, yeah, I just started working with the PT and then also doing some longer runs, longer runs myself. So, it, you know, and I was really puffed running two or three Ks in January. I, I distinctly remember I was like, Ugh. Oh, this is this is tough. This is tough. Like home and red faced within you know like half an hour. So yeah, I definitely um, it definitely did happen in a short period of time. And my goal was to beat Oprah. <laughs> my goal was to beat Oprah because she got two hours sixteen minutes for her first half marathon, mm-hmm. and I got two hours fourteen minutes. So <laughs> you did it. You just you got beat you, girl. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah, it was good. It was fun. Running is one of those skill sets that requires all of your. I guess your your mental attention and your mental energy. I've had I spent hours and hours running, and yeah, uh, yeah I I do know exactly what it feels like. But once you get a bit of momentum behind you and, and you build a bit of resilience and conditioning to your body, it can be one of the most liberating things that you can do as an individual. Did that happen to you? Did you find salvation in it a little bit? 
Absolutely. I re- and I had such resistance at the beginning. Like I tell you, when I was first running, started running and pushing myself out longer distances, I just felt really uncomfortable. Just me and me and my own mind. I'm thinking, oh yeah. God, I'm stuck with myself. This is, this is like, how long do I have to do this for? You know, and then sometimes I'd listen to a podcast and I love doing that actually. Um, and sometimes I have days where I just want to run um, in silence and, you know, just take it all in. Both are great for different reasons. But yeah, I had some resistance around just the sort of, uh, I don't know the solitary nature of it. Just, just you and you and your sneakers and your brain and you know a whole lot of time running. But I now love it, and I, I also just get to see beautiful scenery. You know, I, I love it a lot more than going to the gym in many ways because it's. I love being out in nature. I find it really soothing, and it's just brilliant. Particularly the, I love the sunrise runs. I'm really, I love the early mornings. So yeah, I'm loving them. Sounds like you're a bit of a romantic about it. I am, I am. I also, I also fancy myself as getting up and like burning some incense and writing in my journal. That hasn't, that hasn't happened. Like, you know, there's that book, The Artist's Way, where she talks about writing your morning pages, three pages a day. That hasn't happened. But, but I guess the, the jogging is, the jogging is my meditation. It's my thing. So. Yeah, it's another form of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and what about to the people that are, that are listening and they go, oh, it's all right for you, Jackie, you know? you got a little bit fitter and it's all right for you, Rob. You've, you know, your background is that, you know, it's, it's just so hard for me. I, I could never run that. I could never do that. What would you say to somebody that has a bit of negative self-talk like that? Cause you really got to go all in there. That's a, that's a go all in moment to shift that mindset, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. I think you just have to have self-belief. You have to just believe that you can do what you set your mind to. Like you can actually live that and do it and achieve it. And even just start, small like set a really small goal for yourself it might be a 5k fun run Mm. or it might be you know it just might be something that's really bite sized and achievable and once you start to do those little mini wins add up to big wins so I think if you're kind of talking yourself out of something mentally just pick a really small little event or um you know something you know bucket listing you know bucket listing that you can do with friends with your family with your kids something fun on a holiday I try to schedule in events with holidays now so there's a bit of fun and play around it and it feels way better. Yeah, just pick a small win and go from there. Yeah, yeah very nice. Very nice. Well said. You know, and if you can't run five kilometres, maybe you can run to the mailbox and back. And Exactly. Up your driveway. You know, you know, I started out, um, my personal trainer actually lives on my street. I found someone on my street, which is pretty, pretty handy too, so I absolutely had no excuses. And then she has this big, steep kind of battle axe driveway next to her house. And, you know, we just, I just started running up and down there, even when she's not around. Sometimes I just run up and down that hill and up the top, there's this amazing view out to the water, you know, and Lion Island and Palm mm. Beach and, you know, it's great. And I feel good at the top and then I run back down. And, and so just starting anywhere, like running up and down the stairs in your house. Yeah, just, uh, If you've got just, young babies, just start where you are with what you've got. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's such um, such pragmatic advice for, for going all in on your fitness. And ladies, if you're listening, please, please don't make any more excuses. Take Jackie's lead and, and dive in and, and get going with that. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I want to talk about your business and what you do because it's really very close to my heart, even though I'm not a writer, but it's been something as a marketer that's been very close to my heart for many, many years. And you know, for the, for the people that are listening to this podcast, that are regular listeners, they would know that I've had a digital marketing agency now for about 12 years. And for the first time listeners that have not heard the show before, I've been in this space for, for quite a, a long time. And I have so many people ask me, even, even just as recently as last week, 
I was talking to mm-hmm. a client about um, some ad campaigns that they were running. And the question that came to me was, Rob, what platform should I be running this campaign on? You know, should it be this one, this one, this one, or this one? And the, the issue that people have is that they're so platform centric and they're writing ads, they're writing messages, they're communicating across different platforms, but they're communicating a different message because inevitably the amount of text that they use and the, and the images that they use are always going to be different across different platforms. And whether that's a paid platform or something free or it's a content strategy or something that they're using, it's different. And so the, the answer to the question of what platform should I be on, the answer is you should be on all of them. And you, exactly. you, you need omnipresence. You need to be everywhere all of the time and appear to your customers like you're everywhere. So when someone hits up against your website, you need to show them retargeting ads. When they click on the retargeting ad, they come back to there. They should see another retargeting ad. They should be yeah. seeing retargeting in Facebook and Instagram and Google in AdRoll, Perfect Audience. There's a thousand different places to do that. But yeah. it's not about what platforms you're on. It's about what message that you've got because you can have the most ad budget in the world. You could have $10 million in ad budget. You could have the world's best website. You can have the world's best advertising campaign. But if your copy's lousy, nobody's going to convert. So true. And so, I feel like that clarity in messaging is so important. Like people miss that a lot. And, you know, and then they'll just be kind of, their copywriting will just be like throwing spaghetti at the walls and seeing what sticks and it'll be kind of different across all channels. But really getting clear on that message at the beginning of what makes you stand out is so important. You know, it's being incomparable, like not comparable to other people in the marketplace. Positioning is so important. For, for me over the years, I've always, tell me what you think here, Jackie, as well, it, you know, because I've just, I've worked on hundreds of campaigns. I've built hundreds and hundreds of websites for clients. And it's always been about two things, really, and it's about intrigue and anticipation. So if you can build a little bit of intrigue, it gets people to lean forward and lean into your message a little bit. And intrigue by its very nature creates anticipation because what is this guy talking about? What's he going to do? And, and I discovered that the combination of intrigue and anticipation online creates desire and desire online translates to something that you want them to do, meaning either click, either opt in or to do something. But I also discovered that telling a story and putting the person in the story is also very, very useful to do. And there's so many internet marketers out there that do that really, really well. When you, when you, when you look at those big, long ClickBank sales pages you know, yeah. on for two or three meters on your screen, they're really good at putting you in that story and helping you to imagine what would happen in the event that you were successful when you bought this product. Why do you think so many businesses miss the, the intrigue and the anticipation and they're just like bland, just boring, bland? Why do they miss that? I think maybe they're just too focused on the actual what, the product, like what, what they're selling, but they don't tap into that desire and that demand and they can't, don't get people to see themselves in the story. You, know, you really have to kind of need to buy in to what you're all about. Um, in order to buy from you. So, and I, I feel people just miss that mark a lot and they, they're probably just too detail and feature and benefit focused in terms of their copy and they kind of miss that storytelling element to really draw them in, you know, and then they don't kind of hit the right pain points and aspirational desire points as well. That seems to be pretty common. But yeah, I think the storytelling aspect of it, I think a lot of people miss and doing that in a, in a way that's um, really engaging because, you know, we're getting a lot of stories. So people are pretty savvy these days as well. We're pretty, we're a bit more cynical or a bit more savvy. So you have to kind of put it in bright and fun and interesting ways. That mm. makes. What about humour? Is humour something that you should use in copy? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it depends what, depends what you're promoting and you're selling, <laughs> what kind of, you know, program or offering you've got. But, yeah, I like a bit of humour. And I think actually also remembering that 
there are different types of personalities that you speak to in your audience. You know, you'll have the kind of people that are really want all the details of the program. I mean, I do a lot of email marketing. And mm. so I often recommend to clients that they have different types of email to cater for different types of personality personalities within their audience. So, you, you know, you'll want someone who wants the humour and the gifts and, and the, quick, the quick kind of laugh. You want someone who'll read every single detail in your email and call you on it three months down the track. And mm. you know, you'll have, you know, they, they, there are different ways that people receive information. So having to think about that when you think about your audience is, is a smart thing to do as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really, for, for me, it's a really interesting subject of CRO or conversion rate optimization. How mm. often a client will come to us and, and say, hey, you know, we're running this ad campaign, it's converting at this percentage, um, we're spending X amount of dollars, we don't have any more money to spend on it, we're, we're happy with the budget, but we believe that it could convert better, it's not converting as well as it could, what can you do to help us? And inevitably, the first thing we do is look at their web pages and, you know, do they have the best looking website on the internet in their niche? And nine times out of 10, the answer is no, but that's subjective. So I kind of leave that alone and don't touch whatever a design is. And the first thing that I like to change is the copy is the headlines and the message that they've got going on there because that gives me a split test between what was and what is and then I can kind of move from there and I can test and adjust from there. But I also, the conversion rate optimization, in case you don't know what that is if you're listening into this, is if you're assuming that somebody is reading every line of text on your website, you're making a big mistake in that assumption. People people skim. They, They read so much throughout the day and they look at a screen so much. So the key points of what you've got going on in your copy need to be highlighted, italicized or potentially underlined or all three of those things. And so if somebody scrolls down the page and they can see the highlighted bits and they're only reading those bits, they're catching the main points of it. And the mistake that I see people make a lot is that they've, their copy doesn't lend itself to being highlighted, italicized or even underlined because it doesn't make sense if you highlight or italicize or underline it like that. Do you see people, you must see a whole boatload of mistakes when clients come to you. That's what I see from a, from a digital marketer's perspective when I tie their copy back to their advertising campaigns and it doesn't marry up. What are some of the things that you see are errors that people make? I actually agree that copy is so visual. So I see that a lot and I'm a huge fan of making sure that it's spaced out in the right way and certain text is bolded because I'm a skimmer, skim reader myself and italicized and I guess the other thing, so I think people miss that a lot. There'll just be this flowing kind of stream of consciousness text that mm. just doesn't make sense and isn't going to stand out. They haven't highlighted the key points. They haven't got a clear call to action. People just forget the calls to action sometimes. Um, you know, they're not really directing people one particular purpose or action or post or whatever it is. And I think also, you know, just short, short, snappy sentences. I, I, I'm not a big fan of <laughs> drawing things out. I think when you go to read something, you know, more full stops is good, not too many commas and semicolons. And so I see a lot of people taking a long time to get to the point. Mm. So short brevity is key. Brevity is absolutely key. Um, making sure your copy looks good on the page and there's a real kind of flow to it. I guess, yeah, I think, and I think just also thinking about what is the purpose of this particular piece of writing? What, do you, what is the one purpose of this piece of writing? And are you speaking to that? So I think people miss that a lot. Well, they're really practical and actionable tips. So thank you for sharing that from the, from the pro copywriter on the other side of the microphone there. Appreciate that. There is one thing that I would add to it. And 
I see it, I see this mistake on probably nine and a half out of 10 websites. If I look at my own website, it's probably there somewhere as well because I'm a bit yeah. hypocritical when it comes to it. I'm not perfect when it comes to all of these things, oh, that's God. for sure. Yep. You know, we, we all are that type of thing. The builder with the unrenovated house. Yeah, that's, that's the one. <laughs> Lawyer I'm, without I'm, a will, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not on my <laughs> site, but it, it could be somewhere. One of the biggest mistakes I, I, I see people make in copy and, and in CRO and conversion rate optimization is that you spend all this money getting clicks to your website and people arrive at your website. You've got really beautiful copy. It looks good. The, the pages are laid out. The message is right. Everything is good. And then you've got the word submit on a button. Mm. And I've tested this pretty extensively across different clients. And if you think of it from a mixed martial arts perspective, what I'm trying to do is trying to submit you. And imagine if yeah. we were rolling oh, around on a jitsu mat and I got you into an arm bar and you're like tapping out like because I submitted you, yeah? So what you don't want people to do is submit to you through the copy. And it's these little words in our language because our English language is so rigid. The word submit only means one thing. And, yeah. and, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean submit the form to me or submit the form through the website. If you're reading it in the context of whatever it is that you're reading, it could mean that you want to tap out because you've been submitted when you're yeah. on the mats with your mate or something like that. You know, always, always, always tell people what is on the other side of that button. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it should be an invitation. And, and it just goes to show how powerful one how powerful words are. They really are so important. Uh, and can be interpreted in, in so many different ways. So you need to be really careful with the words that you, you choose. Yeah, very There's a great bit of software out there if you use, if you use WordPress that allows you to split test your whole or pages on your website. So you can change like a couple of headlines, some subheadings and the words on the yeah. button and leave the original one there. So you just, just clone the page, duplicate the page. And then the tool, as you run traffic to it, just ABs it for you. So one one is A, one is B, one is A, one is B. And you can see which one converts better like that. And we've run a lot of tests like that over the years. And also with some screen recording software, stuff like Mouseflow or Hotjar, if you put that onto your website and you see what people do as recording the mouse as it's going around the screen, you can see if people are skimming with their mouse or they're just scrolling in the sidebar as they're reading like that. And that'll give you some indication of what people are doing. You just got to be careful with those tools because you can give meaning to what somebody's doing, but you don't ever really know what's going on inside someone else's head. But yeah, you, you know, let, let, yeah. yeah, let the let the metrics and and the analytics tell you whether or not the word submit works for you or not. And it might work, and if it works, leave it. Don't don't change it if it's not broken, sort of thing. But <laughs> exactly. I can tell you that you know I'm ready to get started and, and book in my coaching call is better than submit on a button. You know you know, and yeah, exactly. And even the word you know you know the word you know apply or or asking someone to you know kind of submit not submit or inviting them to make an application mm. it does that create a sense of urgency or scarcity or you know there's so many words you can use if you want to create a particular feeling and, and you know get something to convert or get something to do a particular thing so yeah mm. words are important cool i want to i want to move on from that because i think that's mm. that's they're important and they're valid points but i want to amplify that with having a bit of fun with you here and and we talked at the top of the show about the courtroom and courtroom dramas and SVU. And I can ask the criminal prosecutor here those questions. You know, I ask it tongue in cheek. But you know what? When you when you watch SVU Special Victim Unit, when you watch that, they're like the most horrific stories of sex crimes and yeah. crimes with kids, and they're like really horrendous. And it's 
you know, in storytelling and, and in news, it's those things that are really negative that get people riled right up. And that's yeah. why the news is full of negative news. There's a thousand good things that the government in Australia does every single day that you've never heard of. And if you've ever worked with government and go and work in government, you're like, damn, these guys do some amazing things. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not exciting, sexy reporting, is it? <laughs> exactly. Because you know, the, good the, deeds. Yeah. The thing that creates like angst and gets the constituents angry and gets people to click on other people's websites and other people's news feeds are the things that get people angry and riled up. And I want to, I want to bring it back to the storytelling side of it because you can do all of that without getting riled up or telling a story of that's not about a sex crime or something to do with a murder or a kid or something like that. But SVU and the writers of that show are unbelievable because they tell you a story in 45 minutes and you yeah. in 45 minutes you're taken from you know the scene at the start of it where you know the body's on the ground and something's happened and it's a rape victim to the you know the investigation and when you look at where the ad breaks are each one of those scenes tells you there's a story within the story within the story and then mm. they tie it all together in the end how can how can you use that same technique of storytelling and the circular nature of what that storytelling is so you're taking on people on a journey but then you're tying it all together at the end to help you win more business via email via a website because it's something that is is a really hugely interesting to me but it's never something that i've ever been able to master because i'm not a writer that's the first thing i could probably learn how to do it but you know that's not what i do I feel like I've had pretty good success in writing for clients using the open loop, you know, the, the, the open loop where you tell stories over a series of emails and you leave just a little bit of excitement and anticipation so that they want to open the next one. And you can, you can kind of divide up a story and, and kind of identify the key themes and then drip feed out that story over six or seven emails. So that's a way that you can kind of do it in short, sharp bursts and keep them hanging you know, and you should really split test your headlines as well to see how they're working, but also how you end the email to make it make them want to open the next one. So there is a real art to, to writing the emails that make them want to open the next one and the next one and find a little bit more about you and what you do every kind of email development, like like it's a soap opera or a TV drama. So I think, you know, that kind of principle of what they do in that show, SVU, you can apply to email marketing in particular is a really good medium do that in and it's also a very personal medium. I love email marketing because you're not kind of at the whims of all the other platforms, uh, which you do need to be on obviously, but it's one of my favorite types of marketing and copywriting. So yeah. Absolutely. I would, I would say that the only two things that you can really control are your email list and your podcast or your appearance yeah. on a podcast. Everything else is subjected to an algo of some sort and that algo <laughs> is there to, to make that business that owns it money. It's got nothing to do with that. You know, one of the things that is, is really becoming apparent and I'm sure as you're listening into this as, as a member of the audience, you'll probably agree that medium form content, whatever that is, and I'll let you draw your own conclusion of what that is in a sec and I'll give you mine. Medium form content has gone away. I, I really believe that's completely gone. I think short form content and ultra long form content are the new norms. Short form content, meaning I scroll through my Instagram feed or my Facebook feed or my Twitter feed, and I'm getting bite-sized chunks of something. And even if I see an article that's interesting there to me, I click on that article and I read it and I'm done in like 90 seconds, maximum, maximum five minutes, maximum. Even if it's an ad or it's, a, it's an article from Medium or, you know, yeah. Inc or entrepreneur.com, I'm still, I'm done in like, it's fast to read. I can skim through the thing. I can get the gist of it. I can speed read it. 
you know, so I think that's short form content. The other long form content, ultra long, long form content for me is podcasts like this, which is longer form content because you're listening to two people have a conversation for an hour or it's a serialized true crime podcast or a history podcast or something like that. And, and that might go over 20 episodes. You know, yeah. it's a whole series of something. It's 20 hours of investigative journalism. It's ultra long form content. Well, think of the one that we all know the most is, you know, it's pouring rain outside on a Saturday Saturday morning in the middle of winter. The last thing I want to do is go outside, go anywhere, take the kids to sport. So I sit down and I'll watch 11 episodes of something on Netflix. <laughs> The binge watch, yeah. What, what, we all know what I'm, that I means. Mean, I love it. I'm less able to do it with little kids because there's a yeah. lot of interruptions, but I will, yeah, get back there one day. But you know, the, 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 kids, the kids go to bed in the evening and you probably yeah, might watch. Yeah, you can do it at night. Yeah, you might watch four or yeah. five episodes yeah, that, like, sure. like that, right? So yeah. imagine if Netflix just released one episode. You'd, you'd be mega pissed that they only put one episode and I had to wait for the next week. They don't. It takes them a year and a half to make a series. Then they put like 13 hours of an episode there and I'm done by the weekend's over and I'm like, man, I have to wait another year to watch that again. I know, which, which creates that anticipation in itself. But then I, you, you, do you remember how like when there was only free to air and you had to wait for your favourite show to come on every week, like once a week? And I kind of enjoyed that as well. It's interesting. It's just interesting to me the way that we consume content. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing how it's changed. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's what I'm saying is there's, that's where I think there's a real shift in mm. short form and it's either short form or it's ultra long form. And even yeah. that ultra long form, I don't mean, you know, third, I'm sitting there watching for 13 hours straight of stranger things or something like that. I, I'm, I'm that you know, if I wanted to, I, I could sit there and do that. And, and you know, a lot of people do do that. So now more than ever, because I don't really have, who reads a newspaper these days? Seriously. Who reads no, the, I don't really know. There's, there's really. the medium form content right there. Yeah. yeah? That's why so, they're struggling in the digital age, aren't they? This sort of business model has um, yeah, there, obstacles. <laughs> there, there, there you go. It's, and, it's, yeah. and think about the last time of your behaviour where you sat down at a cafe on a Saturday morning and they've got the Saturday morning newspaper there and you open that and there's all the lift outs, all the, you know, the travel section, there's the maybe a house, like a, a reno section or something. And you flick through it and you're yeah, nothing in this thing. I just I only ever grab the travel section. I think if I ever get the paper, because I just want to plan my next holiday. Because I'm just, our you know, our behaviour <laughs> our behaviour has been revolutionised by our mobile phones and by yeah. access to whatever it is that we want to access. And so for me, medium form content like newspapers and magazines have completely gone away because mm. they have to compete with ultra long form content. And I'd much rather sit down and watch a TV series about World War Two than reading. Uh, uh, ultra long form content about that. So about, it, yeah. about that, I'm watching TV about that or Netflix yeah. about that. And likewise, on the other side, you know, I'd rather see a snippet of something and then read a short form article. So now more than ever, now more than ever, everything that was old is new again, right? Now more than ever, copywriting is more important than it's ever been. Because if yeah. medium form content, article style content has pretty much gone away from mainstream, it still exists in a blog and on your website and online, there's no question that's not going anywhere. You know, that's going, that's there. But the reality is most people are consuming their stuff in super short form or ultra long form. Yeah. Can you, can you tell the audience, Jackie, about what you should be thinking about in short form content? What's the way to make an impact and make it memorable for people? I think, you know, it's really important to have what's called a pattern interrupt. Like having that hook 
and that interrupt that sort of dramatic pattern interrupt in their day, something to really hook hook you in, reel you in, and make people click through. Mm. Super important because of because simply because of how much content we consume. So really having thinking about what's something that can jolt someone out of their day and make them question something, make them curious enough to click through. So just mm. sparking the curiosity, get the click through. I think something that they should really really think about the hook and interrupt and you know not just kind of writing bland boring copy <laughs> cliche copy is also another another good top yeah it's it's easy it's easy to say that you know don't write boring copy and then you go well it's subjective you know what, what i write what I think, yeah 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 it is i think you know i think there's just a lot of messages and words and phrases that we hear all the time on the internet so if you find yourself and i do it as well but if you find yourself writing it uh, and in, in autopilot try and write it again write it 10 different times you know they say you should should practice your headlines you should write them 20 times until you get the best one and that's really good advice so it might seem like too many times to try mm. you will eventually come up with an absolute winner so and just uh, sit with the first piece of copy that you write the first piece of copy is always just kind of words on the page and you should let it marinate a bit then come back to it and have another go if you're uh, if you're worried about boring bland or cliche copy just put it aside for a second come back later and have another crack. Mm, very nice. Well said. Well said. And very practical tip there as well. One of the other things that I would add to it is that in short form content, it's it's hard to get somebody's attention, even if you use a great hook and even if you, you do that. Mm. Now, if, as you're listening into this podcast, answer the question in your mind and maybe you can answer it as well, Jackie, and I'll, and I'll let you know what I think because every time I, I, I love writing, I love storytelling. I appreciate how much goes into it. You know, I, I guess I'm kind of a wannabe writer myself, you know, but it's easier to be a podcaster because I don't have to type anything. I can just talk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of, kind of funny there, but in the last, must be in the last two weeks, I must've listened to about four audiobooks, And I can tell you from experience that they're the best audio books I've ever heard. Oh my God. <laughs> amazing. And, and who hasn't had that experience where, yeah. You know, you, you've got the audio book and you've got like six and a half hours of this person in your ear hole telling you the work that they've had a lifetime of experience and they're sharing it with you and it costs you 10 bucks or, or you pirated it somewhere and, you know, it was free and you still got it. It's like, I, I just, I get so captivated by people's skill and ability to do something like that. But you finish the audio book, you put your phone down and you're like, oh, what's the next one I'm listening to? And I don't yeah. take any action on it. Put your hand up here metaphorically if you've done that. I've done that four times in the last two weeks. I am so unbelievably guilty of that. So part of using a hook in your writing, using great headlines, is what can we do to get people to take action and to remember that amazing thing that I just saw on a website, in an ad, wherever it might be? What, what would you say to that that you could, that you could use? Oh, look, I mean, I don't like sort of saying use FOMO too much, but I think you do have to tap into something really raw inside of them that makes them feel like... I was hoping you'd say FOMO. Yeah, they're going to like, yeah, they're <laughs> going to miss out. Like they yeah. really need to be a part of this. Like you need to create something that goes quite deep into the heart of what they truly want and what they see other people getting that they don't have. And there is an element to that. You have to, I mean, yeah, I don't always use FOMO in every situation, copywriting situation, but I definitely think there's an element of that. Like they just have to have... That next, take that next step or buy that book or unload that guide or whatever it is you want them to do. There has to be a bit of FOMO, I think. Yeah, there's no, there's no FOMO in copywriting, but there's FOMO in every single piece of copywriting that you do. That's yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the one big promise, you know. So, <laughs> Use yeah. it sparingly. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> don't like to admit to it, but it, but it's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's pretty, it's pretty simple because you know, when I think about it in those audio books that I've listened to and I, I, here's some copywriting for you, right? This lady, uh, her name's, her name's Deb Gabor hmm. and she's a, a, a branding specialist, right? I came across her on LinkedIn. I invited her on my podcast. I saw her stuff and I was like, man, that's like awesome. Awesome. And I can see she's got a couple of books and the book that she had, the title of it was like, eh. and the, the first book that she wrote was branding is sex. <laughs> and I was like, man, that really, that cut through everything. Yeah, and I'll just yeah. buy it to find out. Go back to that first about. title. Yeah. yeah. What are you talking about? How can yeah. that's you know, come on, that's a long bow to draw. Branding is sex. You know, I get it. You're in branding and that's what you do, but come on how? And you know, she talks about toe curling orgasms and, you know, when brands are this and, you know, you feel like you're cheating on this brand and that brand. I'll I tell you what, it's like, you, you've got to read this. You've got to read yeah, this. Yeah, I want to get it. Sounds, yeah. sounds cool. So Deb Gabor yeah. branding is sex. It is absolutely fantastic. And yeah. I'll, I'll pop the link in the show notes if you're, if you're listening. So just peek at your phone, you will see it there. It's just, I, I mean, I do like, cause I'm a bit of a rebel. I like, yeah, I love controversy. So, you know, you, a title that has, is pretty controversial always works for me because <laughs> yeah. I want to find out where they, where they're going to go with it. You know, so yeah, you, yeah, when they you say wanna... something outlandish or I'm like, Hey, what's she done with this? I'm going to, I'm going to find out where she's taking us, you know, so hundred percent, hundred percent. And, yeah. but the problem, the problem is that it's an audio book, right? And, and when you look at her business, her business is branding and she's obviously created and written the book to help her business because now she's a published author and you know, that's part of a marketing strategy. You know, having a mm-hmm. podcast is a part of a marketing strategy to get you, it's a networking hack and blah, blah, all of these things. It's really cool. But you know, she's written this book out of passion. You know, it's a lifetime of experience and it ticks all the boxes and stuff like that. And there's, there's three really strong actionable points in it. But if you ask me what those three points are, I can't remember what they are because I put the book down and went straight on to the next one because I heard this author on another podcast that I was listening to. And I'm like, God damn, I'm going to get that book. You know, the guy, the guy um, Cameron Herald from 1-800-GOT-JUNK, it's called, his book's called Free PR, you know, and how he went from running a company about rubbish removal to getting on the Oprah show. And how they got all this free PR and what they did. Oh my God, branding PR. I'm gonna get on that. What do I do? And then I've finished reading both of these books, and it's the most, inc- you know, it's a, such a great example of the world's best copy, the world's best of everything, the world's best promotion. Yeah. But then yeah. I read the books and go, Where to from here? Like, what's the end goal? Yeah. There was no. There, yeah. there was no FOMO. Yeah. There was yeah. no FOMO. Yeah. Do you need FOMO? You do need FOMO. It's pretty critical, isn't it? Because it just goes back to the way that humans are hardwired, you know, to want what we want and what, what other people want and not want to miss out and want want to want to kind of have a life that's better than our wildest dreams. And you know, if you if you get if you can tap into that, then you're on a winner. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. So don't ever use FOMO, but always use FOMO. <laughs> no matter what, that's a takeaway from this podcast. FOMO everything. No, but don't FOMO anything. But don't, yeah, but FOMO is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's just a hack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a hack. All right, Jackie, as we come to the end of the podcast, I'm going to put you in the, in the hot seat here and have a little bit of fun with you. And thank you so much for coming on, by the way. And thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for sharing your actionable tips there. It's really practical. And 
you know, you're just kind of throwing it out there like it's nothing, but that's because you do it all the time. And to people yeah. like me that are not professional copywriters, as soon as I hear you saying those things, I'm writing them down. You can't see me, but I'm writing them down here in front of me. <laughs> I've got it, got it, got it. So really appreciate you doing that. All right, this hot seat is a quick fire, rapid fire, a couple of quick questions. Uh, there's one serious one at the end of it, so get ready for that one as well. Just the first thing that comes to mind, not too much pondering for me, please. But uh, of all the, ready, here we go, this is the first one. Of all the places you've travelled in the world and you've been to, what's the best place you've lived in? London. London? Yeah, yeah, I love living in London. It might not sound like, I mean, I, I love the beach and I love the surf and I'm, I'm a bit of a kind of barefoot wanderer, but there was just something really energetic and cool and all the history of London. I just, I love the vibe of it. I wanted to drag my family back there. but yeah. I went to London last year for the first <laughs> time and, uh, oh my God, I, I remember thinking there is just no history in Australia at all. I know. I mean, just you know, sitting in like 16th century pubs and yeah, know, no. I, I kind of, yeah, I'm a bit of a romantic. So I kind of all felt, felt a bit sort of Harry Potter. Like I loved it. <laughs> yeah. It was a bit crowded for me. Yeah, I think now it's funny because I lived there in my late twenties. I think now it was one of the coolest places I've lived. Would I live there now? Probably not. Yeah, Maybe I, not I love uh, I love the ocean, and yeah, I'm a little bit more connected to nature these days. Nice, nice. Yep. Hey, uh, what did you prefer when you were practicing law? Did you prefer criminal law, or did you prefer the commercial stuff? Criminal, yeah, and and courtrooms. I just loved advocacy. Yeah, I liked the. Uh, I like the drama. I like the drama of it all. <laughs> so, you, you, you don't have to answer this question and it's kind of a bit off the cuff. It's not one that's written down here, but you ever put some rat bags away that deserved oh, it? Oh, yeah. But, you know, I've, act, I've actually worked on the dark side as well. So I was prosecutor and then I flipped over and became a defence lawyer. Oh, my God. We, and, that and was true, your episode, wasn't it? Exactly. But true confession here, <laughs> loved being a defence lawyer. Oh. Most of all, actually. Getting the rat bags off. Yeah. It's not, it's not a popular thing to say, but I... I love having clients and I, I felt it was quite rewarding in defence lawyer, even at times when I had to deal with dodgy people. <laughs> so so one, one question I do have written here about, and it's related to your time as a, as a criminal lawyer, either side, either side of that fence, dark side or good side, doesn't, doesn't really matter. I, I, were, you ever, were you ever not surprised at the trouble that people got themselves into? Or were you just like, meh? Well, you know what, actually, it, it makes you a little bit, can make you a little bit dated. I, I definitely got desensitised mm. to serious crimes. And I'd, I'd find myself at parties just, you know, telling stories and, and people would just be absolutely flabbergasted well, the, kind of the gory <laughs> details. And I was like, meh, you know, just kind of like seeing one kind of bloody crime scene photo, seeing them all. So you do actually uh, get pretty desensitised. And you know, the stories you tell at the pub with your fellow prosecutors and lawyers are probably a lot more detailed and gory than you would tell at parties because you're all at the same level of desensitization. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but some things still surprise me. Yeah. Is, is there something that comes top of mind that surprised you? You're like, oh my God, how did you? Um, it's a long time um, ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago, but I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't like the kind of sex crime matters. They always surprise me, and I, you know, I'll be surprised at that, mm. um, you know, particularly when it involved children. But, you know, at that, kind of got to me I guess that got to me the most in the criminal world yeah but, uh, but you know also on the flip side got to see the nice side of people who had committed crimes and were trying to be better people so yeah. interestingly when you switch to being a defense lawyer the world is really great not not everyone is is horribly bad and mean and awful and ugly they there were redeeming moments as well which was nice to see 
That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. I saw a uh, an interview with I think he was the chief magistrate of New South Wales or something like. That. I'm not sure his exact title, but he was a magistrate, and um, he was talking about uh, mental health of magistrates, and he was talking about in regional New South Wales how you know, they've got to go from town to town and they're responsible for all these things, you know, and one case comes in and it's like a, a criminal case. The next one is a family law case. And the next one is a commercial case and they get all of these different things. And he was talking about the mental health of these people. And I thought, my God, all you've got to do is sit up there all day, make your decision. And, and based on what you know, how hard can that be? And how naive I am. Oh, you know? Incredibly and, hard and yeah, kind of uh, isolating. Like the, the judge magistrate thing is an interesting one because they are really isolated. And you're a barrister or a solicitor, a lawyer dealing with judges and magistrates. You're not encouraged to become friends with them or fraternise with them or because they have to maintain that level of impartiality. So I'm not surprised that it's yeah, a difficult role. You, well, you're very much on your own. <laughs> yeah, he, he said that. And, and he said in the regional places, you're on your own with these cases but then you're dealing with cases about sexual assault, about kids, about deaths, about murders and all of these things. And you could see that he was physically like it affected him. And I was like, Oh, mm. you know, that's naive Rob on the other side of the screen watching that thinking, what do I, what do you know, mate? How hard can that be? But like, yeah, the, the level of responsibility and, and, yeah. and they've got no one really as many people to talk to about it. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd have, you know, we'd do country trials where we're out, you know, doing a murder trial, or, you know, in a regional area and you'd be there, uh, you'd have a long trial and you'd all be staying in town and you might have other lawyers kind of hang out with and, you know, kind of wash it all off after the day. Mm. But magistrates and judges don't. They kind of don't. go back to their separate hotel and they're not allowed to talk to us and it's all very separate and distinct. So it's an interesting one. I've heard that before and I'm not surprised. Yeah, A, a mate of mine, uh, he used to be a paramedic on the ambulance helicopters. I was in the Navy with him and when he got out, he went over to the Ambos and um, his missus was a nurse for a living. So he would come home from work and just imagine like, so he was a co-pilot, right? But the co-pilot is responsible for getting the bags out of the helicopter and helping. Yeah, and I've been on one with my little, yeah, they're great with my little boy. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they help triage, right? They're not actually yeah. cleaning the patients or anything. Like yeah. There's an extra pair of hands and the pilot's like looking after the aircraft and the co yeah. kind of helps everybody sort of thing. But he would come home and talk to his missus and she'd be like, come on, I've been in the ER all day. I don't want to talk about that. Mm. And so he would ring me up and go, hey, man, you want to go for a beer? I'd be like, <laughs> oh, God, he's going to tell it's me. Another night of storytelling. Story <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Count pub, pub counselling. <laughs> and and, and he, he just needed to get it off his chest, right? He needed yeah, to talk about it. because Oh, my God. And I, I just couldn't repeat those, the stories that he told. You know, I'm a soldier and you know, I've got a pretty strong yeah. stomach and I've been in war zones a couple of times and, and whatnot, you know, but yep. nothing compared to the war zone that he was in on a daily basis, you know. Think about when they send a helicopter there to go and rescue somebody. It's the worst yeah. thing. Yeah, they have it's a fair bit of trauma that paramedics have to deal with and then, yeah, and then learn to wash it off. There's quite a few careers, like public service kind of careers, I guess, that where you have to learn do that so and they teach you techniques when you're a prosecutor about you know you work with psychologists and there is a bit of debriefing that goes on about how to leave yeah. it at workplace and not take it home to your partners and your family yeah uh, but it's just it takes a while to get used to that yeah and, for sure yeah for sure. the take the takeaway is that if you're listening to this and you want to talk about something please talk about it don't keep it bottled up Absolutely. or in a box in the Absolutely. corner like that yeah all right here we, here we go what's the skill that you're working on that you haven't yet mastered being amazing with money. 
really <laughs> financially literate. That's <laughs> a bit hard to admit, isn't it? But comes in, goes out. Ever. Yeah, it comes in, goes out a bit, and I'm getting better at it. <laughs> Maybe that's hiring the VT. But, yeah, no, I'm, I've been being really savvy with money, and I think women can be a lot better at this than everyone, you know, so being smart and savvy with, you know, decisions around money. Very nice, very nice. All right, last one. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received, Jackie? The business that you have to become good at sales and really comfy with sales. And I'd had no idea when I started my business, oh, I can just write and I can do whatever I like. But, yeah, you have to be comfortable. Selling is part of being a business. And if you're not going to be comfortable with sales, then you may well be running a charity. (laughs) Beautifully said said, and uh, absolutely no truer statement in business. (laughs) Than yeah. that, you you must learn how to sell your skill set and your products and services. So yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> All right, that just about wraps it up for the show today for us. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, the best way is to jump on to jackiejub.com, J-A-C-Q-U-I-J-U-B-B.com. You can download my little guide there about how to book more business with words. And uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with you. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure that that link is right in the show notes there. So if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just have a peek at your phone and you'll be able to click on Jackie's website right there. And is it okay if I put your LinkedIn there as well? Let's connect that yeah. way. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And if you're watching this video on YouTube or on Facebook, just scroll down and in the show notes right at the very bottom there are the details to connect with Jackie. So please do that. All right. That's been a really super fun podcast. It's very self-indulgent for me because I love talking about this marketing stuff and this digital side of things. But that's the reason why I have my own podcast so I can do those things, which is really fun. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your knowledge and your view of the go all in mindset. We really appreciate it, Jackie. Thanks again. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Good pleasure. Cheers. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Jackie, just take a peek at your phone and you'll see all of the links to her website and her socials right there so you don't have to go digging for anything. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and the links are right there in the description as well. As always, if you've got a question or a comment or some feedback for the show, you can reach out via the GoAllIn socials or you can send me an email. Just visit goallin.com.au for more information. And if you like what you heard today, we'd really appreciate a review. So just hit the review button on the app that you're listening in on and that helps out a whole boatload as well. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever it is that you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. The place is grown all Cause I don't know if it'll be enough Or if they really care There's a stairway down for the both of us But let's not go there You got me thinking, whoa
Thinking, whoa. 